You're listening to the Ollie at UNT podcast, produced by the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas. Learn something new in every episode as we interview UNT faculty, subject matter experts, and lifelong learners in our community. To learn more about our non-credit courses and events, please visit our website, olli.unt.edu, or send us an email at olli at unt.edu. Now let's join our host, Ollie at UNT Advisory Council Vice President, Susan Supak. This is Susan Supak speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas, known to most of us as Ollie. I'm speaking with Dr. Nancy Little, a University of North Texas alumna, keynote speaker, and author. Dr. Little's expertise lies in boosting mind and body health to enhance quality of life and overall wellness. She has shared that knowledge teaching courses at Ollie on effective ways to self-nurture and dissipate the effects of stress something we can all use, as well as how to provide caregiving for others while maintaining awareness of one's own personal needs. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Susan. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, thank you for joining us. We're very happy to have you here. You are a keynote speaker and trainer. Tell us about yourself and the importance of the main messages you like to impart. I am integrating my mental health background. My doctorate is in counseling from UNT, and I'm integrating that background and my experience seeing clients and working with college students over the years to really deliver programs that support people's well-being overall. We've suffered in the last two years in particular with all the issues related to COVID, the pandemic, as well as other challenging times in our country. So most of us are not operating at optimal levels right now on any variable of wellness. So when I speak to corporations or nonprofits or city governments or universities, whatever the case may be, I'm emphasizing how to be more caregiving to yourself, as you alluded to, how to make yourself more of a priority and to set healthier boundaries because we need to have moments that restore us and give us opportunities to recover from all the stressors that we've been contending with. I think that's so true. I know many of us really haven't quite recovered from our COVID experiences and also just a typically busy lifestyle. And I'm even addressing that in terms of the people who belong to Ollie that are 50 plus, even those that are retired. We're busy, busy, busy people, which is a marvelous thing. We're active, we're excited, we're involved in our communities. But at the same time, I think we're also very tired. Yes. I remember my dad saying, I don't know how I ever had time to work after (laughs) he retired because he took on all these other volunteer responsibilities and caregiving responsibilities. And he nurtured his love to travel and meet new people. I've spoken to some of the Ollie participants who share some of the same excitement 
about life and having the freedom to do what they really want to do. But that was really hampered during COVID. And that was a incredibly negative situation for so many of the people that I related to. That's so very true. Now, let's talk about your books. Okay. In 2020, you released the book Energy Sparks to Recharge, Refresh, and Revitalize. And you also have a chapter, Come Alive to Fully Thrive as an Energy Creator, in the book You at Work, Unlocking Human Potential in the Workplace. Energy, energy, energy. That sounds good to me. Yes. <laughs> let's talk about your books. What do you have to say? Well, the key in both of these publications, these creative endeavors of mine, was really to help people be more kind and loving to themselves. I work with a lot of individuals, men and women, that are much more likely to care give for others rather than themselves. And part of that is rooted in our upbringing and our belief system that we give, give, give. And that's all well and good, unless it is a detriment to how you are showing up in the world. And the first book that you mentioned, You at Work, that was one chapter that I provided, as well as some other HR professionals, to help people be more effective in the workplace. My chapter, Come Alive, to Fully Thrive as an Energy Creator, I talk about the three Ps and how important those are. And that is being perceptive about both yourself and others, tuning into your needs, being able to relate to others, being proactive, meaning making conscious choices, not just letting things happen to you. And then the third P is living on purpose, what you are called here to do. And when I work with Ollie participants, as we know, they're at a different point in their life, yet they are still identifying and discerning what value they can add, what they can share with others, and what they can create in their families that'll be meaningful and long-lasting. So each of the books, Energy Sparks, To Recharge, Refresh, and Revitalize, it is 52 tips. It's a shorter, more compact book that you can put in your handbag or your briefcase or your satchel, whatever you're carrying, your backpack. And it can help you stay focused on habits and behaviors that allow you to be more self-caring and self-nurturing and self-compassionate. Again, I didn't intend for this to come out in May of 2020, right? At the cusp of this huge worldwide pandemic, but that's what happened. And it turns out that the tips have been really incredibly useful to people. Even to me, Susan, I had a hip fracture in 2021 and I pulled out this book and I said, you know, I can be a testimonial because these tips work because they're helping me navigate this long recovery process of going through rehab and getting physical therapy and all that you have to do when you have a hip fracture. 
Well, I love the three P's. That's great. I love it when you break things down simply in a way we can remember. And, you know, I know for a fact that many of us hold on to behaviors that create a lot of unnecessary stress for ourselves. And they turn into automatic ways of thinking. And I know, especially again, going back to our Ollie membership, many of us have held on to some of those behaviors for a period of time, quite a period of time now. Now with the first P, perception, is that really just a tuning in to what's going on rather than just going by your normal rote way of thinking about things? Yes, in part. I mean, it takes intention to be a self-aware person. Sometimes we have to look at things and patterns in our lives that are uncomfortable and unpleasant. Maybe it's our relationships. Maybe we've had a pattern of short-term relationships and not having the quality of depth in our relationships. Perhaps it's been a history of our employment. Maybe it's been something else. But when we look at those recurring patterns, we often see things that are useful information. And so many of us over the course of our life had tried to hide things from other people, to not fully share the the great scope of who we are as human, where we have some vulnerabilities, some weaknesses, and some incredible strengths as well. So when we become more comfortable with who we are, and then we're more aware of what we could do to shift some of those behaviors, some of those repetitions patterns, then we can be more proactive in making choices because some of it is about choice. Do you find as people get older that they tend to share more about themselves or is that just a personality thing? Well, it depends. of course, on where they are, what they're hoping to accomplish. But the Ollie group that I've worked with, they've been incredibly open and responsive and receptive to entertaining some new ways of showing up in the world. Because it's like, if not now, when? You know, sometimes people say things, I'm going to do this when. I, after I have my children or after I get my divorce or after I change jobs or after I get that house or after I retire. And then at some point we kind of recognize is the time now or is the time (laughs) never? And we want to enjoy the best part of our lives when we have more free time to engage and really be with people in meaningful ways And I know my specialty in my counseling practice was grief and loss. I worked with those that had gone through divorces or painful endings to relationships or lost someone because they passed on. And sometimes, and this is one of the benefits of COVID in a sense, people got great clarity about purpose and they recognized that if I don't do this now, I may never have the chance I have to take my health more seriously. I'm going to be a better parent or daughter or son or sister or brother. I'm going to mend those relationships. And I'm going to do things that bring me joy because 
the truth is we should all be doing something that brings us joy every single day. And it is better if it's on the healthy end of the continuum. I guess that goes on to the third P, which is purpose. And I know I have heard also in different areas, along with what you say and have written, how important that is to have a purpose, regardless of your age, but certainly in a quality of life as we are now to maintain a strong sense of purpose. And I guess I guess they all go along together. I mean, at the same time, being perceptive, having being proactive and having a purpose. But without a purpose, we lose so much of that energy, don't we? Yes, exactly. We need to know and be on fire, really, with who we are and what unique attributes we bring to the world. We all have positive ripples that we can create. We also can create negative ripples. The people that are always criticizing others or the ones that say, oh, I don't think you should do that. That's too risky. Those have impacts. And a lot of those voices that we hear in our head and those old patterns of behavior that you alluded to, those are from people that were important to us. Maybe they were our teachers or our parents or our coaches or our youth leaders or grandparents. And they were the ones that oftentimes had good intentions, but what they communicated to us was the world is a scary place. It's dangerous and you're not capable enough of managing. And from my generation, little girls tended to get that message more than little boys did. That is so true. And it's so important to be aware of that. And I think what you say that is so insightful in terms of allowing ourselves to be vulnerable, because if we don't allow people to know who we truly are, and we don't allow ourselves to be vulnerable, we're not perfect, we make mistakes, we may not know how to do something, we might try something and it fails. We never find our purpose. I shouldn't say we never find our purpose, but how difficult it is. I mean, I'm thinking of the people who have discovered they have artistic abilities or music abilities. They never knew when they were younger because they didn't allow themselves to do that. I worked for many years with a program at UNT called Student Support Services. And the students were low-income, first-generation college students and students with disabilities. Those students in the long run performed better in our programs through their involvement than the students graduating in the top quarter of their high school class. Wow. They got a lot of counseling, career counseling, personal counseling, study skills support, tutoring. They had activities where they got to interact with each other and they grew leaps and bounds in their confidence, in their ideas about themselves, because they often had somebody in their past, a counselor, a teacher, somebody that they were told to respect and listen to, who told them, you don't have what it takes to go to college. You don't have what it takes to succeed in this field. And we countered those beliefs. And honestly, some of my students, went on to make far more money than I did working for a state university in their chosen field. 
but they had to overcome that mindset that I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not, I don't have good enough genes or whatever those old messages are. And those people I work with carry around an exceeding number of false beliefs about themselves. And don't you think, I mean, you would know so much better than I, don't you think though most people do have what what was that called? The the feelings of that imposter syndrome. Like yes. no matter what we do, we think, oh gosh, if people really knew, they would realize I don't know what the heck I'm doing, or I'm not as qualified as all these other people around me or whatever. Don't you think most of us have inklings of that? We have we have a little bit of that, but it varies. Some people have so much that it blocks out their ability to move forward. It's really like a burden that they carry on their shoulders. That's why I always tell people in the trainings that I'm offering, I tell them about the employee assistance programs where they can get support, counseling support, career support, financial support, life balance support. And I tell them, I have both worked as a counselor for people involved with the EAP programs, and I've also gotten that support for myself. I've taken advantage of counseling various times in my life, starting when I was in college and then at different turning points and at different times when I was struggling emotionally or with what was next for me. And the people are often surprised to hear that, but I think we need to hear that over and over again because there's a sometimes seeds that have been planted that tell people don't share what's really going on with you. Don't tell other people about our family. Don't tell other people your problems because then they'll judge you, especially in the workplace. Right. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps kind of thinking, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I see that changing and we've had some really good role models like Simone Biles or Michael Phelps. And they're two well-known athletes, but they get millions of views when they talk about their emotional struggles or their career struggles or their life balance struggles. And whenever we hear that, it does give us permission to be a little bit more gentle with ourselves and not to think that we're so unique in a negative way. In your books that you've written and contributed to, I notice the word energy is Mm -hmm. in both of them. So energy is probably a large component. I'm assuming of what you're saying, is that because your stress or your lack of uh, understanding lowers your energy level? Where, Where does energy fit into this? Well, high levels of stress and staying engaged in a continual fight or flight response really dissipates our energy. And if you can think back to a time when you've been in an emergency and you had all that cortisol and all those stress hormones flooding through your blood, you may remember being short of breath or your heart racing or breaking out in a cold sweat and all those things that at best can equip us to do things that are almost superhuman. But when we stay in that continual fight or flight mode, it zaps us. It takes away our energy. It puts us at much greater risk 
for getting sick ourselves, for having cardiovascular issues, for having high blood pressure, for having ulcers, for having an accident that puts us in the emergency room. So when I talk to people over the last couple of years in particular, people have been in this chronic mode of hypervigilance and it's just zapped them. It's made it hard for them to sleep, hard for them to eat healthy food, hard for them to connect with other people. And so our performance when we're not eating well, sleeping well, moving, it suffers. We forget things, we miss deadlines, we are late for work, or we wanna leave early, or we don't show up for a meeting that we committed to. So all of these can hamper our ability to really live our lives the way we want to. Dr. Little, what does a healthy person look like to you? That's a great question. So we're talking about somebody that's operating on a wellness continuum in an optimal way. I will say quickly that most of us are not engaged in optimal wellness right now. But if we were, we would be able to rest well each night. We would be eating nourishing food. We would be able to engage with conflictual situations, whether at work or at home, in a constructive way. We would take time out for ourselves. We would put ourselves higher on our priority list. So we would feel physically energized. We would be able to take those walks and enjoy the fall colors or go to activities with our children or grandchildren and engage with people in fun ways. Those are some of the criteria for being well. I look at wellness on a continuum and there are several different key aspects. There's social wellness, there's physical wellness, that's mostly what we talk about. There's emotional wellness. There's our career or our post-career, our volunteer activities. There's intellectual wellness where we can think constructively and well. And then there's spiritual wellness. So when we are balanced and engaged in meaningful ways, we are supporting ourselves on all those different areas, not equally, but if there's some sense of balance and there's some sense of when things happen, like happened to me recently, I went out to get in my car and go somewhere and I had a flat tire and I was able to move through it. I was able to problem solve. I didn't burst into tears. I didn't go run down the street screaming, life sucks or anything <laughs> like that, which, you know, it's sometimes we all feel like that, but I was able to make it a process that was completed. I wouldn't want it to happen every day, but we should be able to cope with the little nuisances that we all experience. Right. Well, let's say I'm a person that's just stuck. I'm stuck. Oh, life does suck. Or let's say I'm someone who's moving along, but knows I'm not reaching my full potential as a vibrant, healthy person. You mentioned the three Ps. Well, maybe that answers the question, but where does a person like that even begin? They start small, first of all. You know, 
all the quotes by Lao Tzu and these famous philosophers that say a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. I encourage people to use simple addition and subtraction. So I'm going to add one thing and I'm going to subtract one thing. So I might add 30 minutes more of sleep a night or quiet time before I turn out the light. And I might subtract off 30 minutes of social media, 30 minutes of news, 30 minutes of gossiping on the phone with somebody, whatever it is. Or I might plus 15 minutes of movement. I might add in walking around my block at least once a day, 15 minutes. And I might subtract out sitting on the couch, just zoned out. So there's small steps. We can add more music to our life. You know, I have a playlist of my 10 favorite songs that get me up and moving, even if it's just around my house, even if it's just walking from my dining room, through the hall, through the living room, through the kitchen, I'm up and moving. So I think what most people do is they start too ambitiously. That's why most New Year's resolutions don't work. So start small and make your intentions manageable. What do you find are people's biggest concerns? There are many, but part of it is that sense of overwhelm you alluded to earlier. More to do than possibly you have time to do. And part of that is related to poor boundaries. Ooh, there's a subject right there. We could probably have a completely separate podcast on boundaries. Well, let me just elaborate on that, on the healthy boundaries. Sometimes we have to say no to other people in order to say yes to ourselves. And for so many of the people that I come in contact with, that's really hard because they say, what if they won't like me anymore? What if they get mad? What if I cause them to fill in the blank? We are being too over-responsible for other people. You know, there are times when we really want to be there for somebody, but there are times when we know that it's not a good choice for us, where we're even feeling a little bit resentful, that they would even ask or a little irritated. Like, how dare you? Why do you think I have time? And I know from experience, it happens to people that have retired, that are staying at home more. Well, you don't have anything to do. Well, we already know that's not true. But it is. it implies that they're willing to impose. Sometimes you have to say, no, thank you, or not now. Or I appreciate you thinking of me, but that's really not going to work out for me. We have to be really clear, because if we don't, we inundate ourselves with just this pile of obligations and responsibilities. I think it's so very hard when you have a good, good choice. You have things to do that are, let's say you're helping in the community and you've got, this is good, this is good, this is good, but you can't do it all. So 
yes, those reactions, I think they're so common to all of us. You don't want to offend anyone. You don't want to make them feel as though what they're asking you is not as important as the other things you're doing. So how does someone who is active and is committed and wants to be involved go about learning to set those boundaries and working through that guilt or that concern? For people that have a hard time saying no, I often encourage them to start by saying, let me check my schedule. And then that gives them a little cushion. If they just can't bring them to say no at that point, and then go away and get some support, write about it, pray about it, talk to somebody else that's going to offer you compassion and understanding and empathy, because it really is okay. We don't want people to say yes to us because they're afraid of us or afraid we're not going to like them anymore. We want them to say yes because they truly want to be with us or engage in that way. So I really appreciate my friends when they tell me no, (laughs) even though sometimes it's not what I want to hear. I want to be supportive of my colleagues and others. We have to trust their no's so that we can trust their yeses. What wise words. And I I truly do want people to understand that their well-being is more important than they've given time and attention to. We have to offer ourselves self-compassion. And I will tell you that over the years, when I've had people take a self-compassion assessment in a class that I teach on self-care, they always score higher on compassion for others than they do on compassion for selves. My advice to them is just move yourself up a little bit in your priority list. Just continue to move yourself up because really the reality is when you're feeling rested and recharged, You're going to be a better friend, a better ally, a better supervisor, a better parent or grandparent or sibling or whatever. You're going to be more fully present because you asked me earlier, what's one of the main things that I'm hearing? And it's that people are lonely. Even when people are around them, they're not really talking about things that matter. There's more chit chat. So if we want to fully engage, we have to be rested and we have to be at a place ourselves that we can connect. It also coincides with another class that you taught for us at Ollie on compassionate caregiving and how caregivers, and, and I thought it was so interesting that your word compassionate caregiving was directed toward the caregiver, his or herself. And being compassionate to themselves. And that goes along with what you're saying, I'm sure, about bringing yourself up. I've been a caregiver for my mom. I was a single parent for many years. I helped take care of my aunt. I helped take care of another friend who just passed this last April. If you're not caring for yourself, if you're not being mindful of your own needs, you are definitely going to burn out you're going to get sick. You're not going to be able to provide the kind of care that you want. So we can't be everything to everybody. 
when people are needing caregiving, you have to have multiple sources of support. That's how community can be so important. When you have multiple people that can visit, make phone calls, provide food, whatever the needs are. One person simply cannot do it all. I don't care if you are superhuman, you will wear yourself out and you will have negative health consequences as a result. Well, thank you so much. There are so many gems in what you have talked about. I encourage people to listen to this more than once. It touches on areas that affect all of us so often. And I appreciate you so much being here and sharing this with us. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you think is important to mention? Well, you know, I could go on for hours with all this. But the one thing I will say, Susan, is that we are in the midst of the two most stressful times of the year, the two most stressful months of the year right now. Between Thanksgiving and New Year's, we're inundated with extra responsibilities, obligations. It can feel overwhelming to make these decisions about whether to travel or not travel or have people in your home and what to purchase and what to create, how much you want to decorate. Every decision takes on momentous proportions sometimes. I just encourage people to go the route that deep in their heart, deep in their innermost sanctuary they feel is best for them. Because if you work yourself to a frazzle, you're not going to enjoy it anyway. Make people the priority. Make yourself the priority. Whether you have three Christmas trees or no Christmas trees or however you celebrate the holidays, it's important to honor your own inner needs. And it doesn't have to look like a Hallmark card, does it? No. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you very much for joining me. It is my pleasure. I could talk about this, like I said, all day long. I know that there are many ways that people are hurting right now. And just think of what you need to do to move yourself a little bit along that continuum of well-being. How can you support yourself? How can you be healthier? How can you be more calm? And there are some really great tools online related to meditation and visualization, affirmations, even breathing, just simple, deep cleansing breath or a sigh can help restore you to where you have that sense of peace and feel more grounded. And take advantage of all the tools that are available because it will enable you to continue to take those steps to your overall goal of being the healthiest version of you that you could possibly be. Sounds very good. Thank you so much. This has been Susan Supak speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas with Dr. Nancy Little. Thanks for listening. The Ollie at UNT podcast is recorded and edited by Susan Supak and produced by me, Jordan Williams. If you enjoyed this episode, check out our previous interviews and subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. 
to receive email notifications about each new episode, join our email list at oli.unt.edu slash podcast.